Good morning. It's good to be with you. As indicated earlier, we are at the end of our series on the Exodus. Now, I don't know how it's been for you. In a minute, you have the opportunity to reflect. Oh, children. Yes, children's church. Sorry. Thank you, Andrew. Children's church. Children are dismissed for children's church. And then we adults are really going to talk about you. Thank you, Andrew. Let me just uh, get some feedback from you. How Exodus, what do you remember about the past, uh, oh, maybe three months, two and a half, three months that we've been preaching from Exodus? What do you remember? Or what do you remember from the story? What is it? Yeah, they must have been really impactful. Anything that you remember? I mean, even from your thinking of the Exodus and own reading. What do you think about when you say the Exodus of the children of Israel? God delivers his people. Yeah. Were you, did you raise your hand? No, Sarah. Yeah, you didn't raise your hand, did you? Okay. It was higher than your ears, so I thought that it was probably you. But anyway, uh, God delivers his people. Is he interested in that today? Yeah, Murph. Yeah. Yeah, God does not forget his promises. Even if we think he has, he hasn't. Yeah, God's people are bent the same way today. that We struggle with the very same things. Over here, ladies. Uh huh. God is a jealous God. He cares. I mean, He is jealous for you. If God had a photo album in His wallet, your picture would be in it. And He'd say, This is mine, my child. God provides. I, I've thought more about the manna in this kind of series than I have in a long time. Like, it's perfect food, perfect running food, by the way. Um, had everything in it you needed to survive. And you didn't get tired of it. I guess you didn't. Maybe you ate less if you didn't get tired of it. Anyone else? So we're, we're at the end of that, so please turn your copies of the Scriptures or look at... Uh, Joshua chapter 23 and 24. So, at the end of Genesis, Joseph dies. And, and he says, the very closing verses of Genesis 50, uh, verse 25, So Joseph made the sons of Israel take an oath. When God comes to your aid... When God comes to your aid, think about what Joseph is saying. Joseph is saying, when, so they're now in Egypt. They're living there. They're uh, uh, Israel's boys, the 12 sons. Uh, They're in this uneasy kind of alliance. Their brother, who they had mocked for years, is their leader now. 
And Judah has repented fully, and it's from Judah that we'll, we'll see the lion of the tribe of Judah. But at the, at the end of Joseph's life, he says, when God comes to your aid, take, you are to carry my bones up from here. Now, Joseph is a pharaoh or a pharaoh-like figure, and where did they bury pharaohs? Come on, pyramids. They, they embalmed them, and it's where we get the mummies today. So Joseph's body would have been mummified and, and put in a coffin, which is unusual. It says they embalmed him and placed him in a coffin. 400 plus years later, the children of Israel leave. And when they leave, it records that they took the bones of Joseph with them. The body of Joseph, they embalmed the leftovers. Why is that important? I'm not quite, I have some ideas, we'll we'll talk about that. So, so, and then they, they, they leave, and it's 11 days journey from Egypt to Canaan. Walking, it would have taken 11 days. Now with this larger group, it might have taken some longer, but they, a person could walk the journey. Instead, how long did it take them? You're allowed to talk in church here. 40 years. What happens in those 40 years? I mean, everyone but probably four people die. Joshua and Caleb and probably their wives. Everyone else dies. No, 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 that's not true. So, so we've often assumed that. That's not true. I, should, I need to say that differently. Everyone over the age of 20 dies. So these kids who were under 20, and by the way, in the, in the Jewish world, you became fully adult at 20. You began the process at 13 and became you went to war and did all these things for men. And so all the adults, the people over 20, that's when you became fully accountable to God for your life. Prior to that, you were, a young, you were young. So everyone over the age of 20 dies, except for Joshua and Caleb and probably their wives. Think about these kids uh, having crossed the Red Sea when, or seen the plagues of, Israel, uh, of Egypt and all these things. I mean, it's, put the story together. So, so we're, we're at that place. And, and think about what that did to this group of people. And then when they get to the Jordan River, they have another one of those river, those water crossing experiences. They cross over the Jordan. And remember on the other side of Jordan, uh, Joshua says, I'm going to lay up this pile of stones so that you remember how God delivered you. You. Tell your story of how God delivered you. And then you have this wonderful thing, and, and Chris covered it really well with, with Jericho. Oh, that's such an amazing story. I just recently, I read it this week again, how they marched around the city, the walls fall in, Rahab is the only one saved, and then Ai. Well, that's a terrible story. But then it goes into the book of Joshua and expands, and they, uh, oh, my, manna stops. And suddenly they're eating everything on the land. Think about this. Mom, look, I'm eating grapes and, and you know, whatever, grains and but they, they ate off the land. And that's where we're at in the story. And now Joshua is an old man. And, uh, in chapter 23, it begins like this. The year 
years passed, and the Lord had given the people of Israel rest from all their enemies. Joshua, who is now very old, called together all the elders, leaders, judges, and officers of Israel. He said to them, I am now a very old man. You have seen everything the Lord your God has done for you during my lifetime. And let's just think a little bit about how old he might be. Does anyone know how old he was when he died? 110. So if he was 80 when they crossed in, 80 or so when they crossed into the promised land, this is 30, oh no, wait, 25, 30 years, sorry, I don't do math very well. 20, roughly between 25 and 30 years after they crossed into the promised land. So, so the, the people sitting out there are much more mature, and you have a kind of a spread. When they crossed into the promised land, there were no older people. And so that's why the importance of the story. Remember the story. Remember these stories. Because they, they were the generation that could have forgotten the story of how God delivered them from Egypt. But they did not. And, and it's also important why not everyone, the children and all, because somebody had to remember what Egypt was like. Because you don't have the drive to conquer the, the promised land if you don't remember what slavery was like. And then in... Uh, the first part of Joshua, he says, I have taken away the bitterness of your slavery. The sting of your slavery. And so Joshua calls the people together. He calls them together and he says, I have some things to say to you. Think about how this is, the oldest man there. And he, he gets up and he says, I, I, want you to, I want you to do a couple things. I want you to notice in verse 6 what he says. I'll, well, I'll just read through a little bit here. Uh, the Lord, I, I like to just kind of pick it up. You have seen everything the Lord your, your God has done for you during my lifetime. The Lord your God has fought for you against your enemies. I have allotted to you your homeland, all the land of the nations yet unconquered, as well as the lands of the, those we have already conquered, from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. This land will be yours, for the Lord... Him, your God himself will drive out all the people living there now. You will take possession of the land just as the Lord your God promised you. Now, he says, so be very careful to follow everything Moses wrote in the book of instruction. Do not deviate from it. Do not turn from it. Do not deviate from it, turning either to the right or to the left. Make sure you do not associate with the remaining in the land. Do not even mention the names of their gods, much less swear by them or serve them or worship them. Rather, cling tightly to the Lord, your God, as you have done until now. I was thinking about that passage and think about what Joshua is doing. He's saying, so be very careful as you go from here. I'm now turning it over to you. So be very careful that you don't fall into either the right or the left, but be very careful to stay on track and, and, and he tells them, don't associate, don't, do not worship their gods. Rather, cling tightly to, your, to the Lord your God. And I, that word cling st- t- uh, struck me when I was reading it. And I looked at other translations, as some of them say, be loyal to. But cling is a really good word. Because the word means to stick to, to adhere to, or to hug, to hang on to. So hang on to the Lord your God. Stick to Him. Be stuck together. It literally means to glue together. So you be stuck to God. What does that mean in our world today? What does it mean for you, for us, 
sitting in this room to be very careful to follow the instructions that we know are the way of Jesus. What does that mean? Do not turn from the right or to the left. Don't fall into this ditch or that. But be very careful to stay on course. Be very careful to follow Jesus in our world today and cling to the Lord your God, your God, our God, the Lord who delivered us. What does it mean for us to cling to God? And I'm sorry, uh, there are some people who cling to their devotions. Doesn't mean you shouldn't have devotions. There are some people who cling to their religiosity. But it is actually personal, where you cling to a living other being. You cling to the Lord your God. You cling to Jesus. This is very practical for us as we think about transitions and we think about the past, the present, and the future. And, and, and Joshua, whenever he addresses the people, he comes back to this idea. This is what you need to do. Cling to God. In our world today, what does this look like? What does it look like for us to cling to God? Well, it means, I think, that it means that we actually think about our relationship with God. You will not get anywhere in your relationship with God if you don't think about where am I. And according to the Scriptures, we are all in a constant state of repentance. What does that look like? What do I need to repent from? What do I need to repent to? How do you cling to God? What do you need to do to deepen your relationship, to deepen your hug with God? To deepen that attachment to God. So Joshua is, is telling these people, and, and he, he, they know he's ready to die. They know he's at the end of his life. So cling to. And then he, then he says, so he's actually talking to the leaders, primarily probably when he says this. So he, he says, uh, uh, and I, again, I'm using this, this uh, we have fallen in love with these, as you can tell, Chris and I use these a lot. They're a six-volume set, five or six-volume set. Do you still have them at the bookstore? Uh, they're available at the Gospel Bookstore. They're the Bible in has all the chapter and verse divisions taken out, so you tend to read it differently. So go to the bookstore and buy them if you don't have them. And read them. This is actually something you can read through and stick your bookmark in because it's the story of God working in, our, in, in, in the past and how he will in the present. And then Joshua says a little later in chapter 23, he says, Soon I will die, going the way of everything on earth, deep in your hearts. Now listen to this. Who said, uh, Murph, you said something about the promises of God, right? This is what he says. Deep in your hearts, you has come true. Deep in your hearts, you know that all the promises of God have come true. What does it? What will? What would a, a group of people look like who embrace the idea that God's promises will come true? And what are His promises? Lo, I will be with you. You're stuck to me. Cling to me. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All these promises that we know throughout the Scriptures that are there, they are all true. 
And it takes someone who is deeply attached to God to embrace the idea that in this present world, I have not seen everything uh, come to fulfillment, but I trust that God is the kind of God who is trustworthy enough that his promises will come true. Our first SMBI tour that Narita and I ever went on went to the West Coast for four weeks in a bus with uh, 40-some young people. And I, re- I still remember the story, the story that they used a blanket, and you, a woven blanket, and they'd hold this blanket up and you'd see the backside of the blanket. And it looked kind of, it, looked, it didn't look like a, a beautiful thing. Well, it did, but not nearly to its fulfillment. They'd talk about a children's story, and they'd talk about how, how uh, something had happened, and I, I don't even know the story, I just remember the blanket illustration. And then at the very end, they'd flip that woven blanket around, and you'd see the picture. In a lot of ways, that's what our lives are like. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then we will see face to face. And at that moment, when we get there, we're going to be able to say, Oh, oh, that's, oh, now it all makes sense. And the, the, the people of strength, the men and women of strength in the Scripture, embrace the idea that that is the truth of God. That everything that happens in this world, God has his hand on, and God's providence is there, and it is all ultimately for the good of his kingdom. Then Joshua gathers all the people together. Everyone. This mass multitude. I don't know if they had loudspeakers or what, but apparently most of them could hear. And uh, then he says this. I, I think this is the beginning of chapter 24. I don't know. I, I often write in here where the verses are. Actually, I wrote it here. Chapter 24, um, the beginning of chapter, roughly the beginning of chapter 24. You find it in your in your copies. Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. So they came and presented themselves to God. Joshua said to the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River, and they worshipped other gods. But I took your ancestor Abraham from the land behind the Euphrates and led him into the land of Canaan. I gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. To Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. To Esau I gave the mountains of Seir, while Jacob and his children went down into Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I brought terrible plagues on Egypt, and afterwards I brought you out as a free people. But when your ancestors arrived at the Red Sea, the Egyptians chased after you with chariots and charioteers. When your ancestors cried out to the Lord, I put darkness between you and the Egyptians. I brought the sea crashing down on the Egyptians, drowning them. With your very own eyes, you saw what I did. Then you lived in the wilderness for many years. Finally, I brought you into the land of the Amorites on the east side of the Jordan. They fought against you, but I destroyed them before you. I gave you victory over them. You took possession of their land. Then Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, started a war against Israel. He summoned Balaam, son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to him. Instead, I made Balaam bless you. And so I rescued you from Balak. When you crossed the Jordan River and came to Jericho, the men of Jericho fought against you, as did the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hevites, and the Jebusites. But I gave you victory over them. And I sent a terror ahead of you to drive out the two kings of the Amorites. It was not your swords or bows that brought you victory. 
I gave you a land that you had not worked on. I gave you towns you did not build, the towns where you are now living. I gave you vineyards and olive groves for food, though you did not plant them. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. What has he just done? What has he just done? What did you just do? He recounted to them their history. Beginning with before Abraham and said, I, I called Abraham out. And by the way, I noticed something as I read through this, uh, just this time again. He said, uh, two things I noticed is, uh, I took your ancestor, Abraham, and I gave him many descendants through his son Isaac. How many children did Isaac have? Yeah. It's you. But anyway, and the other thing I noticed um, I sent Moses and Aaron, I brought terrible plagues on Egypt, and afterwards I brought you out as a free people. Some of the people in that audience weren't in Egypt. They weren't born there. They were born in the wilderness. But you, because you were there as, as part of the family of God. And so what would our recounting look like? What would our recounting look like? If, if I were to stand up here and say, I know that I'm going to die this week. And, and before I die, I want to, and I'm, I am not really planning on that. Although if it is my time, it is my time. I'm not planning on it. So don't get any ideas. But if I were at the end, I would say something like this. Providence, in 2008, I called a group of people from Gospel Heaven to start a new church. We began, they, we began meeting in Mrs. Miller's Noodles. And then we moved to Jonas's, Jonas Koblenz's shop. In 2015, this building was built here where we gathered today to worship. In 2019, after some upheaval, we, we made the decision to move forward with a little different course. At that point, we owed $260,000 on our church house. Two years later, that debt was fully Amen? In 2022, we added a third pastor to our team. And God has, in the last five years, has brought a miraculous number of people with unique gifts and characteristics to this body to make it more complete. In 2023, we made the decision to go ahead with something that we've been working for since 2019, where we have a half-time pastor in place. Think about the miracles that God has done. The hard times, but also the miracles that God has done since 2008 in the life of Providence. We do not often do this where we recount the ways that God has brought our lives together in a beautiful way. And so it is, it is to the glory of God that we recount that. And, and the people are taken by this. They say, yes, we will do this. The people replied, we shall never... We would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. And Joshua warned the people, You're not able to serve the Lord, for He is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, He will turn against you and destroy you, even though He has been so good to you. But the people answered Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua says, You are witnesses to your own decision. So, Providence, you're not able to keep moving forward. You don't have what it takes to keep moving forward. And don't forget that God is a holy and jealous God. And when God calls us together, he has a, a purpose for us. You're supposed to reply, yes, we are. We're able. 
Why, why this kind of dialogue? It's because he wants them to think very carefully about their decision. Are you able on your own? Are we able on our own? Even in a group of believers like this, we are not able on our own. He wants us to understand that they need to repent and to rely on God, to cling to God. Then he does this number again. At the, at the very end, in verses 25 to 27, Joshua made a covenant with the people. Well, actually, let's just back up. All right then, Joshua said, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. That's what you're supposed to say. Get rid of your idols. Get rid of them. Knock them down, Marcus. Knock them down. Not me. Not your idols. I'm supposed to knock my own down. And I have them. So do you. This propensity towards, away from clinging to God. And then the people say, no, we're going to serve God. We will obey him alone. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day at Shechem, committing them to follow the degrees and the regulations of the Lord. Joshua recorded these things in the book of God's instruction. As a reminder to their agreement, he took a huge stone and rolled it beneath the terebinth tree beside the tabernacle of the Lord. What's the deal with the stones? Remember another pile of stones? Maybe we don't have stones. But maybe we do. Maybe we should. Maybe we should set up statues. Maybe we should set up reminders in our lives. Maybe we need to bring the chart out. Where is it? In that room or that room where the thermometer is? You know, $260,000 is nothing with God. And yeah, yeah, we don't want to just go back to that decision. But it is a moment where God worked through us, through the power of us together, and, and brought a deliverance to us that we are able to be where we are today and to give back in a different way than if we were harnessed to that. It's those kinds of things that we should be celebrating, rolling out stones and saying, we made this commitment, we made this decision. God was there for us. And children, when you look at that stone, God was there for us. So this is all reminders, reminders of the way that God has worked. And then the book of Joshua closes with this really strange thing. Joshua sent all the people back to their homelands. After this, Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timnath, Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and all of all the elders who outlived him, those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. The bones of Joseph, which the Israelites had brought along with them when they left Egypt, were buried at Shechem in the plot of land Jacob had bought from the sons of Hamar for a hundred pieces of silver. This land was located in a territory allocated to the descendants of Joseph. Eliezer, son of Aaron, also died. He was buried in the hill country of Ephraim in the town of Gaba, which had been given to his son Phineas. Now, what a strange way to end the book. This morning in our prayer time and uh, preparation before the service, it was Marvin and Chris and I, and we were talking a little bit about the sermon. I said, I'm going to talk about three old men and their burials. And they kind of looked at each other. 
I hope you don't mean us, but anyway. So why, why record these three, three men dying in their, in their burials? I think there is some direction here, some, some ways to think about this. Joshua is their, their leader. He has faithfully led them. And it's all the people who lived under the influence. As long as the people who had lived under the influence of Joshua were in leadership, the children of Israel walked with God. So, so there's something really powerful about, about saying those who had personally experienced all that God had done and had been reminded over and over again by Joshua. And so now Joshua is gone. So somebody else has to pick up the mantle of leadership. Somebody younger. But those stories cannot be lost. The stories of God's deliverance should not be lost. And then the bones of Joseph. Huh. Why is it so important for us to think about the bones of Joseph? What begins the story of Exodus? The story of Exodus doesn't begin in Exodus 1. It begins in Genesis 50. When Joseph, and Hebrews 11 talks about this, when Joseph had the faith to look forward and say, when I die, take my bones to the land that God has All of God's promises will come true. 450 years later, they carry his bones. 400 years after his they bury his bones. And it's kind of this symbolism. He dies, and he's finally buried. And you begin Israel's history. And in a we can take some lessons from this at saying, you know what? We need to be the kind of people that call our children to say, take my bones back. Take my bones back. Not, not literally, but remember the promises of God that he has, he has given to us so that in the future you can live in the promised land. And then Eliezer the son of Aaron, who is the second high priest. And it represents kind of their, their, uh, their religious leader. He, he is the one, uh, it's going to be different now because the people who have experienced, had had these direct experiences in the wilderness with leadership are transitioning away. The exodus is over. You're home. Now live well when you're home. And maybe at Providence, we should take this as a lesson. Maybe this kind of tumult and transition is over. Maybe we're home. This is where God has called us for this time. Doesn't mean you'll always be here or we'll always. You know, God can move people around. It's okay. But God has called, we're here. We're here. And it'd be easy for us to stop, to rest, and become comfortable. Instead, God is calling us to say, in these moments... Do not worship false gods. Providence isn't our God. Jesus is. So cling tightly. Reconnect. Hang on to. Be glued to God. And then do tell the story of God's grace. And I, I just encourage parents, think about telling the story of your deliverance to your children. How God delivered you. And then... As we begin this process, we need to say, the heroes of the past are dead and buried. Joseph's bones are buried. We're home. Now what do we do? First of all, we conquer the land. Do you know this is an amazing thing? At the end of Jesus' life, he calls his 12 disciples together. They are scared uh, they're scared spitless. 
The resurrection has occurred, but the Holy Spirit hasn't fallen on them. And he says, all power is given to me, now I give it to you. Go therefore into all the world and tell them about me. So all the power of God is given to Jesus. He gives it to these 12 broken, laven, broken people. It's his disciples out there. And then they see him go to heaven. A few months, a few day, weeks later, the Holy Spirit falls. And they become the most powerful force in the Roman Empire. And the same call is for us today. We are called to be the most powerful force in the world. We are stronger than the army of the United States with all its atomic and nuclear possibilities. We are stronger than any army in the world because we have the weapon of love at our disposal. And that is what will change the world. The love of Jesus his people. So now the call is for us to come our world, to eat our world, to enjoy, breathe, and give back into our world. You children of Israel sitting in front of me, think about that call this coming week as you interact with the people in your life. Let's stand together.